right, let's open our Bibles this morning, please, to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 16. 2 Chronicles chapter 16. And as you can see this morning, by the grace of God, I'd like to preach to you about this topic, the perfect heart. The perfect heart. 2 Chronicles 16, we'll begin reading in verse number 1 and read down a few verses. We're picking up this story in the middle of Asa's reign. Asa is one of the kings of Judah. And so that you understand the context fully, Asa has just experienced 20 years of peace in his kingdom. It's given him a chance to build and fortify the southern region of of what we know as Israel. They knew it as Judah then. And we pick it up chapter 16 and verse 1. It says, In the sixth and thirtieth year of the reign of Asa, Baasha king of Israel came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent that he might let none go out or come in to Asa king of Judah. Understand at this point in history, there was a division within the Israelites. The the ten northern tribes were pitted against the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Ramah was a small town just a little bit north of Jerusalem. And by fortifying and building that city up, it's almost like a blockade. And now the people of Judah can't get out of their city. They can't move north at all to advance in this battle and try to win. Verse 2, Then Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasures of the house of the Lord and of the king's house, and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, that dwelt at Damascus, saying, I just want you to be able to picture in your mind, you have Judah, north of that, Israel at this time, that's the division, and then north of that is Syria, and the main city, the capital city is Damascus. So now the king of Judah, Asa, is reaching out. He's skipping over his northerly neighbor, Israel, and going up to Syria to get help. Verse 3, he says, There is a league between me and thee, as there was between my father and thy father. Behold, I have sent thee silver and gold. Go, break thy league with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. Now this is merely Asa taking matters into his own hands. What he's doing is trying to make a a political move, a political bond, if you will. He's joining forces with Ben-Hadad in the far north in Syria. He is creating, listen, an unequal yoke. This man, Ben-Hadad, not a man of God, this king of Syria, has nothing, he has no desire to do right. And Asa is putting himself in a very tricky position by forming this alliance to win this battle against Baasha, the king of Israel. Verse 4, Benadad hearkened unto King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they smote Ijon and Dan and Abel, Maim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. Those are places up in the north. And it came to pass when Baasha heard it that he left off building of Ramah and let his work cease. I want you to see that Asa's plan worked. Do you see that? What was the goal? The objective was 
win this battle against Baasha and do it by any means necessary, even if that means compromising what you know to be right and creating an unequal yoke with this unbeliever. Verse 6, Then Asa the king took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah, and the timber thereof, wherewith Baasha was building. And he built therewith Geba and Mizpah. He said, hey, looky here, spoils of war. They brought all these products in. They were building Ramah to destroy us, and now we have all this extra stuff. We can use this to build some of the cities that we're interested in. So not only did he win the battle, it seems as if it's a double blessing. He can use the spoils of war to fulfill some of his own projects verse 7 and at that time Hanani the seer the, the word seer is an old word for prophet right? it's just another way to say prophet at that time Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said unto him because thou hast relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord thy God Therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. You see, God had this much bigger plan in mind. Asa could have been used by God, number one, to change the northern tribes of Israel. I'll show you in a few minutes how he could have brought revival to the north. But God also had a plan where Asa could have conquered Ben-Hadad. But because of this unequal yoke, and he, he fell into the same political bed as Ben-Hadad, now he's lost this chance. So the prophet is rebuking the king. You could have done something for God, but now you failed. Verse 8, Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims a huge host? with very many chariots and horsemen. Yes, they were, over a million. You can read the story in chapter 14. The Ethiopians came with over a million soldiers. Asa's army was much, much smaller than that, not even half of that, and yet when he prayed, God gave him this miraculous victory. And the prophet is now reminding Asa, don't you remember when you relied on God and you saw God do some amazing things. Don't you remember those times that you prayed and you watched God work it out in a way that you couldn't have ever dreamed of when God did exceeding abundantly above all you could ask or think? Don't you remember how, how good it felt in your heart to see God get the victory? He says, this, the Ethiopians, the Lubims, they were a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen. Yet, in verse 8, because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand. And verse 9 is where we're going to spend our time today. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore, from henceforth thou shalt have wars. And it's this mention of the perfect heart that I'd like to 
take our time and look at today. So if you would, please bow your heads with me. Let's ask God to help us. Father, we now come to you and ask that you'd please, please speak to our hearts on this subject of the perfect heart. Explain to us what it is that you're looking for. And God, as we see here, you are looking for it. We want to be able to provide this precious commodity to you. Help us, Lord, to understand it. Speak through me just as a vessel, God. Reach out and touch our hearts today. Lord, we, we want to be able to be used of you to the fullest extent. And I believe this subject of a perfect heart is going to make a massive difference. We want to see you work. Please help us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When we get to the end of this passage that we've read, Hanani, the prophet, he, he pulls back the curtain of the physical realm just for a moment. Very often, it's, it's difficult for us to see and to imagine what's going on in the spiritual realm. Paul, the apostle, he said, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. But do you see in that statement, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. We can see things we can't see. <laughs> Just very ironic. It's almost a paradox, right? How can we see things we can't see? Because God, through various methods, in this case, a prophet, will pull back the curtain of the physical and say, let me give you a peek into what's happening spiritually right now. And in verse 9, we have this amazing peek behind the curtain, this glimpse of God. He says, number one, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. This is point one on your outline. If you would like to fill it in, you're more than welcome. As I mentioned last week, you, you don't have to. This is simply there for your benefit if you want to use it. But the first point on the outline is this. We see that God is determined to pursue determined to pursue as we pull back the curtain and see what God is busy doing the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth now forgive me if I don't delve into the deeper doctrinal aspect of this but the eyes of the Lord are connected to the spirit of God you see this in Revelation chapter 5. It, it actually says the eyes are the Spirit. It, it makes this connection very clear. The Holy Spirit is moving. And, and notice the movement, not walking, running. This shows me the urgency, the determination with which God is pursuing this great commodity we call the perfect heart. Not walking, Running, He's eager for it. I hesitate to use the word desperate, but I feel as if it would illustrate the point well because if you are looking for something and you're just casually walking about, checking here, checking there, no doubt you want that object, but it may not be of the greatest importance. But haven't you at some point in your life lost something and you had to get going? And my goodness, the urgency with which you overturn your house. 
couches get flipped over pillows are flung everywhere I mean the baby can even anything to find this object that you're looking for God I don't want to use the word desperate that's more of a human word but he's fervently earnestly eagerly seeking for this this tells me something it must be of the utmost importance If it is that important to God, isn't it worth our time to look at the perfect heart and see what it is we can do to provide this thing that God is looking for? Now, let me, if I can, just address what some people might struggle with in this. God, if He is omnipresent, and we believe that, right? That God is everywhere at the same time. There is nowhere that God is not. In Psalm 120, 39, David said it like this, if I, if I head up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. You cannot escape the presence of God in that sense. However, when we talk about the eyes of the Lord running to and fro, you might get the idea, well, that means his eyes are here and then the next moment over there, so God can't see everything at the same time. Let's be careful that we separate these two points. The omnipresence of God, that that part of God doesn't change. He's there. We're not talking about geography, however. We're talking about the manifested presence of God. Let me illustrate it with a very simple, simple picture. Maybe you've experienced this, God forbid. But you can live under the same roof with somebody and geographically you're close to them. But that doesn't mean emotionally you're close to them. You can say, yes, this person is sitting right next to me, but I'm not close to them. We're speaking of a different nearness. When God manifests His presence, that's something different. God is looking specifically for a perfect heart so that He can show Himself strong. God's presence is everywhere, but God does not find very often a vessel through which He can work freely. And that is where God is seeking. God is there and He's looking eagerly for that opportunity to work. Even when God manifested His presence on the earth in the person of Jesus Christ, we see this this part of God's nature still at work. Jesus said it like this, I am come to seek. Right? I'm come to seek and to save that which is lost when Jesus came just like a shepherd looking for the lost sheep he leaves the 99 and he'll go up and down through the mountains wherever he needs to go to find that precious lamb God manifested in the flesh he's seeking where can I find somebody that will let me work in their life and Jesus by the way on occasion did find it didn't he Sometimes I think we might look at this and think if God is looking for a perfect heart, then this is a useless pursuit because who can offer God a perfect heart? And that's why we need to study this today so that we understand exactly what God's looking for. If God is so urgently looking for it, it must be possible. God is not going to waste his time looking for something that no one can offer. Jesus on occasion found it. You know, it's interesting, the stories we have in the New Testament. A Gentile centurion 
sends friends to Jesus and says, please come and heal my servant. Jesus begins to make his way towards that centurion's house. The centurion gets word of it and says, no, no, tell the master he doesn't have to bother with coming all the way to my house. Just say the word and my servant shall be healed. And you know what Jesus said about this man? I've not found so great faith. No, not in all of Israel. He found it in the most unlikely of places. He found it in a Gentile heart. But here was a heart perfectly prepared to let God do something amazing. He found it again with the Syrophoenician woman. Comes to Jesus, please heal my daughter. She's grievously tormented, vexed of a, of a devil. Jesus didn't respond and she keeps on and the disciples say master send her away man she's bugging us Jesus said listen I, I my mission is to minister to Israel and the woman doesn't leave it she so desperately believes and wants to see God work please let the crumbs fall that fall from the master's table Jesus I'm not asking you to ignore your mission to the house of Israel but would you just be mindful of, of the, the humble state of, of my situation? Please, God, help. And Jesus, when he found that perfect heart, he would stretch the boundaries of the calling of his mission because the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong. He says, here's a chance to show what I can do. When he found that willing vessel, God, manifest in the flesh, took advantage of it. It says in verse 9, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Let's pull back the curtain. We cannot see this with our physical eyes. We cannot see the Holy Spirit running here and there looking to manifest himself, but isn't Pachas Thurum part of the whole earth? Kind of. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Could I just draw your attention to the fact that wherever you're at, if you're here in the building with us this morning or watching in the comfort of your home, wherever you're at, it's part of the whole earth. The eyes of the Lord have run to your seat it's not just to the building. He's run to your seat and he's, he's peeking inside of your heart and he's wondering, will I get a chance to work in this heart today? The second thing, and let's, let's move on in our outline. The second thing I'd like to bring out from verse number nine. And if you want to put this on your outline, number two, definition of perfection. Definition of perfection. Perfection. We've seen that God is determined to pursue. The eyes of the Lord, whether we're talking Old Testament, New Testament, they're still running to and fro looking for this. But what exactly is he looking for? A definition of perfection. I think it is worth our time to attempt to wrap our heads around what does God mean when he says a perfect heart? I fear that it is sometimes misdefined and other times underdefined. We simply say the word pure heart, perfect heart, and it brings to mind 
certain things, certain standards that we have for that, but have we really taken time to let God tell us what he means by a perfect heart? Have you ever seen somebody, maybe you've come into the room and you, you find somebody checking up and down looking for something, and, and you know they've lost something, and they're looking, they're looking, they're looking, and what's your natural response to this? Most people say, uh, can I help? Did you lose something? Can I help you find something? Right? That's just the natural response. And then uh, the person says, yes, I'd love some help. That'd be great. Okay, what are you looking for? Well, yeah, you see, I'm looking for this thing. Okay, so far you haven't helped me. I, I, I can't help you. Help me help you. What is the thing that you're looking for? At least we've narrowed it down. It's not a person. Right? Right? It's a thing. Good. But what is the thing? Well, it's, it's, um, it's a, a thing about, about it's, uh, it's about so big-ish. Um, okay, well, what color is it? Well, last time I saw it, you know, it was kind of blurry a little bit at night. So I, it could be a blue, maybe a black, you know. But it, if the light hit it just right, it might be orange. I'm just... Okay. What do you use it for? I, you know, I've never used it, but somebody else asked me to get it for him. So to be honest, I'm really not familiar with it. I can't help you. <laughs> this is a useless pursuit until I know better what I should be looking for. I might be looking at it right now and I don't know it. <laughs> How will I know it if I even find it? I could pass right by it. And I think the same thing happens when we talk about a perfect heart. We know that God desires a perfect or a pure heart. Okay, now what is that? What's involved in that? Well, it's, you know, it's a heart that is, you know, it's, it's perfect. And what do you mean by that? Well, you know, it's, it's perfect. It's clean. It's pure. It's, what do you mean by that? What do you know? No. That's why I'm asking, what do you mean by that? So I, I want to try. You can see on the outline, I purposely did this. I, I left a little extra space between number two and three because I'm going to offer you four or five different explanations for how you might understand the perfect heart. And as I present them, you can feel free to jot them down. I do not think that there is just one sentence I can give you that will fully explain the perfect heart. So I'm going to try to approach it from several different angles, and I think in so doing, it will give you a biblical picture of what God is looking for in a perfect heart. So what is a perfect heart? Let me attempt this simple statement. A perfect heart is one that will allow God to work. A perfect heart is a heart that will allow God to work. Let me show this to you biblically. Asa, the man of whom we're reading in chapter 16, we see obviously by the rebuke that he received from Hanani the prophet, Asa's heart was no longer perfect in God's sight. But there was a time in Asa's life that it was. There was a time that he had this perfect heart. I wonder if the same is true of you this morning. 
Maybe there's been a time when you had it. You, maybe you couldn't even have defined it, but you had it. Asa had it. It is possible. Look at chapter 15. Chapter 15. I, I've already mentioned to you this great victory that God gave Asa. When the Ethiopians came against him, he prayed, said, God, it's, it's nothing for you to save by many or by few. You can give us the victory, and he did. And when God gave Asa this victory, God saw Asa's heart that this heart is a heart that is willing to let God work. So what happens in chapter 15, you can see in verse 1, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. That's the southern portion. The Lord is with you while ye be with him. Now understand, he's preaching to that generation. This doesn't change the fact that Israel corporately, that they are God's people. Right? God made that promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It doesn't change that. He's saying, you, this generation, God is manifesting his presence, his nearness in you right now. Watch what he says. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. As that generation. Verse 3, now for a long season Israel hath been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. What's he saying? Asa, you have an incredible opportunity. You guys down here in the south, the presence of God has shown up. Your heart is soft enough that God can work through you. You've gotten out of the way and let God take center stage. You guys in the south got it, but those folks up in the north haven't had it for a long time. Israel's been without God for so long they have nobody to teach them. Asa's getting the message if we stay right with God, we can not only bring revival in the south, we might bring revival in the north. So what does he do? Come on down to verse 12. Asa organizes the people. And it says, They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. Do, do you see what, what they're promising? We will seek for God with all of our heart and with all of our soul, with everything in us. We're going to look for God. This is part of the perfect heart. I'm just trying to draw the picture for you. Verse 15, And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought Him with their whole, what? Desire. So what does it mean to have a perfect heart it has to do, you say, I've got to get everything cleaned up. I've got to stop all of my sinning. No bad thoughts, no bad words. Don't touch anything unclean. Ooh, wait a minute. We'll get to that in a moment. Right here, it has to do with the desire of your heart. What are they desiring? Whatever God wants us to do, we're on board with it. If God points something out, we'll take care of it. That has to do with a perfect heart. Look, look how Asa responds. It says at the end of verse 15, he was found of them and the Lord gave them rest round about. There's a great peace that comes over you when you fully commit your heart to the Lord. Not just God save my soul from hell, but leave my life to me. Fully commit your heart to God. There's a great peace that comes with that. Verse 16, and he also made Maacah the mother of 
Asa the king, he removed, uh, it says, and also concerning Maacah, sorry, the mother of Asa the king, he removed her from being queen because she had made an idol in a grove. And Asa cut down her idol and stamped it and burnt it at the brook Kidron. Because now Asa's heart is completely under God's control and he is seeking to please God with everything within him, he had to take a stand against a family member. Well, that's not easy, is it? That's a very tough decision. He went down there to the brook Kedron, burnt that idol just, just to make it clear, I'm, I'm not with her, not on this. She's my mother, but I can't get behind what she's doing. You know, we do something very similar in the New Testament. God says, go down there to the water and get baptized. You know what that is? It's a public declaration. I'm following Christ, and sometimes family members aren't on board with that. What does it mean to have a perfect heart? Even if my family, even if my friends, coworkers, they may not understand, but God, I desire to please you. I want to see you work through me. So all of that comes second. You're first. You see, I'm trying to fill in what that perfect heart looks like. Watch this, verse 17. But the high places were not taken away out of Israel. Huh. There was still work to be done. Asa had not yet ticked all the boxes. There were still other things that Asa needed to clean up. Asa's heart was in the right place. He desired to do what was right. There were still things that needed to be done. So look what it says. The high places were not taken away out of Israel. Nevertheless, I have that word underlined in my Bible. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was perfect all his days. We get the idea when we hear a pure heart, a perfect heart, that means I have to have stopped all of my sinning. I need to achieve sinless perfection. I can only think about God and the things of God. And if I ever think of anything else, then God will have nothing to do with me. This verse proves that wrong. Asa had yet to tick all the boxes. And yet God still pronounced his heart perfect. Nevertheless, Say, God, I'm struggling with this. I know you want me to overcome this and you want this to change and I'm trying. And you might begin to beat yourself up and say, I'm not yet everything God wants me to be. Therefore, God cannot use me. God cannot fellowship with me. That's not true. God looks down at the heart and he says, now there's a heart that is seeking me and desires to see me work and will let me work when it's time to work. Often, we get an idea of purity, and if you, if you want to test me on this, you can do the homework like I did. You go on the internet and look up sermons about purity. 95% of those sermons will, will touch on this. Flee fornication. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss. It's almost 
anytime we hear purity, we all of a sudden pull out our, our little list with these boxes on it and say, okay, a pure person doesn't cuss, doesn't smoke, doesn't watch bad movies, doesn't get tattoos. A pure person, they go to every church service, they're involved in every church activity, and if you tick all the boxes, there's purity. I, by the way, I have no problem with those things I just listed off. I would encourage you to stay away from the bad and be involved in the good. I'm not concerned. I have no problems with promoting those things, but you might tick every box I just mentioned and still not have a perfect heart. You can come to every church function. You can have a body free of tattoos, no smoking, no drinking, no cussing, no bad mood. You can tick all of that, and the heart can be in the wrong place. Let me, let me prove this to you. Can I ask you to hold this? Just flip over to 2 Chronicles 25. Just briefly, 2 Chronicles 25. Guys, you can tick every box of what society would consider clean or pure. You can tick every box of what a particular denomination or maybe even a local church says, this makes you pure. You can tick every box. You still need to answer this question. Why are you ticking those boxes? That's what you have to answer. Can I give you those boxes in another, from another source? A Pharisee went to the temple to pray, and he prayed thus with himself, and he said, I thank thee, God, that I'm not an extortioner, unjust, an adulterer. I'm not a publican like this guy. I fast twice in a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. Now there's a man that ticked all the boxes, didn't he? But Jesus said this guy, he didn't go home justified. He didn't go home right in the sight of God. Another guy comes in and he just pounds on his chest and says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. It was a publican. You think that publican had all of the sudden fixed everything in his life and no longer... I'm sure there were some boxes that he didn't tick, but that heart was broken. That heart was desire. It was seeking God. Jesus said, this man went home justified. You have to ask yourself, why am I ticking these boxes? Why? 2 Chronicles 25 Look at verse 1. Amaziah was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Pause just for a moment. He did that which was right. Ticked the boxes. Came to every service. Stayed away from the bad. Did the good. You see that? Now finish the verse. But not with a perfect heart. You can tick the boxes, but you still need to answer the question, why are you ticking the boxes? Let me attempt to give you another angle on a perfect heart. Let me try to define it like this. Perfection or purity of heart starts with a proper estimation of God's person and out of love and respect for him, you think, speak, 
and act in a way that invites his fellowship rather than driving it away. I know that's a mouthful. That's why I gave you all this extra space on the paper. (laughs) Write small. But let me repeat it. Purity of heart starts with a proper estimation of God's person. And out of love and respect for him, you, you think, speak, and act in a way that invites his fellowship rather than driving it away. As we've seen with Amaziah here in 2 Chronicles 25 and verse 2, you can do what's right but not with a perfect heart. Have you ever found yourself doing something, even something spiritual in nature, but you're just going through the motions of it? You ever found yourself there? Find myself there every week to some extent, right? It's impossible to say every time I do something spiritual, my, I'm, I'm passionate, I'm earnest, I'm fully into it. Guys, we're all human. We're going to have dips in our passion, in our fervency. There's two approaches to this. Let me, let me see if this helps. Sometimes you can go through the motions because you love God and you know it's right to do, so you're going to do it regardless of how you feel. Say, God, I'm doing this by faith and not feeling. I believe this is right, so I'm going to do it for you. Do you hear how the perfect heart is driving you to do that thing? You say, but I'm not fully into it. Yes, but you're doing it because you love God. Don't you do that for your family? Gentlemen, don't you sometimes not feel like going to work? You, come on, you say amen there. <laughs> don't you feel like sometimes saying, I need a day off. But you know why you get up and do it anyway? Even though you don't feel like doing it because you want to take care of your family. You love them and if you don't go to work, you're going to lose your job and you're not going to have money to buy the food to take, right? So you do what's right because you love the people around you. That's coming from a good place. Say, but I'm just going through the motions. Sometimes you have to for the right reason. Sometimes, however, you can go through the motions of doing something spiritually related because you're afraid that if you don't go through the motions other people will get the wrong idea about you and you're afraid of what they're going to think if they don't see you at every church function and if they see you doing this or that so you go through the motions of what you think a good Christian should do simply to hold on to this good reputation Do you see how you're also going through the motions but for the wrong reasons? Now, the gold medal is to serve the Lord passionately. The Bible says to serve Him fervently in in Romans 12, to be fervent in spirit. But guys, even, even sometimes when you have to pick up that cross and follow anyway, don't think that, oh, because I'm not super into it, I don't have a perfect heart. You can still struggle along push yourself a little bit and still have that perfect heart say God I don't feel like it but I'm going to do what's right let me offer you this as another here's another angle on it another possible way to understand a perfect heart a perfect heart has one desire to see God in every aspect of his life A perfect heart desires to see God in every aspect of his life. Let me unpack that just a little bit. 
I'll support it with another verse of scripture Matthew 5 verse 8 what did Jesus say he said blessed are the pure in heart for they shall what see God you say well that has to do with when you get to heaven you see him and you have to have this holiness or this pure heart and then you get to heaven you see God I don't deny that you will see God on the other side of glory however I believe it's equally true that you can see God working in your life now you can see him with what A.W. Tozer called the the gaze of the soul your, the eyes of your soul. You can see God. You can understand and feel Him operating right now. You don't have to wait for eternity to see God. You see Him now in a different way, obviously. But I want to see God working in my life. What does the perfect heart do? It says, God, the Lubims, the Ethiopians, they're attacking. I don't know what I'm going to do. You got to do something. And that perfect heart just stands back and says, now Asa, he was ready to fight. He was going to pull his weight. But he also wanted God to do something. You know what you do with your heart, with your, with your family, with your work, with your studies, with whatever it is that you're doing. You say, God, I want to work my job the way you told me to. I want to run my family the way you told me to. I want to be the spouse you told me to be. Every part of my life, I want your guidance. I want I want your influence. I want you to be a part of it. I want you to lead it. I don't want to lean on my own understanding. I want to acknowledge you in all of my ways so that I can, at the end of the day, when my family is in this position, when my business is in this position, when my studies have come to a close, I can say, I did it God's way. It worked out because I did it God's way. And now you can see what God did. That's part of having a perfect heart. We sang it just a few moments ago. Can I remind you of what we sang? Take time to be holy. Be calm in thy soul. Each thought and each motive beneath his control. Thus led by his spirit to fountains of love, thou soon shall be fitted for service above. I think what we're, what we're singing about in this song is the perfect heart. There's another song we often sing, and I think it plays a part into the perfect heart. Last, this is my last attempt at a definition of it. So please feel free to jot this down as well. You can look at them later and try to come out with a more concise statement. I tried for three days this week to make this concise, so you're getting the short version. <laughs> I I know that doesn't sound right, but you are. What's a perfect heart? It is a willing, moldable, soft heart with a singular goal under which all of life's other achievements can be categorized. It is committed to one purpose. I want to make God happy. You say, if it's a pure heart, then that means every wrong thought, wrong deed, wrong word has to be completely, I want to use a big English word, expirated. It has to be completely burned out of your head. It has to be purged out of your mind. You know, at my house, we have a, a special 
special uh, water tap that we've had installed on our sink. I don't know, do any of you drink potch water? If so, we need to pray for you because, whoo, it's gotten bad here lately, eh? So we have a, a filter, right? We don't drink it right out the tap. We, we, if we want to drink the water, we have this special, special tap and it has the filter connected to it. Wow, the guy recently came and changed the filter. It was disgusting. Oh my goodness, he put the new filter on. Five minutes later, it was already turning brown. Oh, <laughs> scares me to think what's in the water here. Say, I want pure water. Fine, good. Part of having pure water is keeping a filter on it. Say, Pastor, what's the point? I want to have a pure heart. You know what that means? I install my filter. I, I, keep, I keep the washing of the water by the word. I keep the word of God. Jesus says, I've given the word to cleanse you, John 15. So what I do is I hide the word in my heart that I might not sin against him. And as life gives me situations to deal with, it fil I filter them through the Bible. I filter them through the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And I allow my heart to be soft, willing, moldable. God, show me what to do in this situation. I have one goal. I want to make you smile. So what did Paul say in Colossians to an employee and how he should work his, his job? In singleness of heart, not to do it to please the eyes of men, but to please, he said not with eye service, right? Isn't that what Paul said? Not with eye service. I'm not doing it to tickle the eyes of my boss. I'm doing it because the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for somebody that will say, I won't do it my way. God, I'll filter all of my words, my desires through your word and allow you to cleanse me as I go. Let me sing you this. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter. Listen. Bind my wandering heart to thee. This person knows that the heart tends to wander off. Say, that's me, Brother Mike. I got a wandering heart. And therefore, God can't use me. God can't show himself strong. Oh, hang on a second. You're going to hear how he makes it perfect. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. You know, when Asa's heart was perfect, he made a commitment. Chapter 15, verse 12. Chapter 15, verse 15. What was the commitment? We are going to seek you with all of our heart and with all of our desire. You know what God said that was? Perfect. God said, that's all I'm asking. That's the perfect heart. One last thing I want to point out before we're done. Chapter 16, verse 9. Second Chronicles 16, 9. At the end of the verse, Hanani has rebuked the king 
He says, herein thou hast done foolishly. You let God help you with the Ethiopians and now you think because you had that victory that you can handle life on your own. Victory had defeated him. He said, you've done foolishly this time, Asa. Therefore, from henceforth thou shalt have wars. So number three on your outline, destitute of peace. Destitute of peace. He said, from thenceforth, henceforth rather, thou shalt have wars. By any worldly estimation, Asa was a success. He won the battle that we read about in chapter 16, didn't he? Baasha, king of Israel, was turned away. By creating this unholy alliance with Ben-Hadad, Asa fixed the problem. He won the battle and found extra building material to fix up some other cities. By a worldly estimation, Asa did a good job. They would all applaud and say, well done. The problem is now, the prophet said, it's just going to be wars from here on out. You might have won this battle, but you've lost your peace. You know, there's something about being very successful. It can be very tricky. You might find that you achieve all of your earthly goals, and yet deep down in your heart, you still don't find that satisfaction that only comes by having God say, well done. To know I at least did it God's way. I would rather be at war with the world and have the peace of God ruling in my heart than to have everything the world can offer and still not be satisfied by it. Asa no longer had this relationship with God that had brought him years and years of peace. Now he's lost it. How can you expect to be at peace when you're at odds with your Creator? The warning, listen, that Asa was given from Hanani, look at how Asa responded to it. Verse 10, Then Asa was wroth with the seer and put him in a prison house. For he was in a rage with him because of this thing, and Asa oppressed some of the people the same time. Thank you, folks, for being merciful with me. None of you have ever put me in a prison house, even when the sermon wasn't so lecker. <laughs> Whew, that's a rough response. You would say tough crowd, right? Tough crowd. You'll see this with other kings in, in the Bible where God pronounces judgment on a king and says, that's it, your kingdom's going down. You see this with Ahab especially. God said, that's it, I'm going to destroy you. And then at the end of Ahab's life, he humbled himself, he repented. And you know what God did to that horrible, wicked king? He said, well, because he has softened his heart, I'll bring the destruction later. God had pronounced judgment. He had rebuked Asa and says, from thenceforth, it's just going to be wars. But even with this pronouncement, Asa, I believe, could have repented. He could have softened his heart and brought it back in line with what God was looking for. He could have said, yes, I messed this up. So God, I will bear the burden of this mistake, but tell me what to do now to make it right. He could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, he hardened his heart even more. 
and you can see the rest of his life what a life verse 11 behold the acts of Asa first and last lo they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel and Asa in the 30 and ninth year of his reign was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great look at this yet in his disease he sought not the Lord but to the physicians he grew so bitter against God that even when he needed God most he said I'm not gonna talk to him might I offer a different outcome Asa didn't have to finish up like this he started off quite good did you know there's another man in the Bible that lost his way for a little while King David was a man after God's own heart wasn't he you know what David did one night on a rooftop he looks down and he sees Bathsheba and you know the story he messes up horribly and it took a while it took several months David tried to hide that you know he covered it up God is calling us he tried to hide it but eventually the prophet came and put his finger in the king's face and says thou art the man we know what you've done you know what David's response to this was you can read it in Psalm 51 he said God against thee and thee only have I sinned purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean and then this statement and I've left it with you on your outline David's life could have ended up incredibly poorly he could have grown very bitter but David didn't leave it there he made a mistake his heart was impure for a while but God spoke to him through the prophet and rather than getting outraged at Nathan David prayed and said create in me a clean heart O God and renew a right spirit within me so that's where I would like to close today with this invitation to you regardless of what's gone on in the past maybe you've had a perfect heart for a while maybe you've never experienced that whatever the case is today you have an opportunity to bring your heart in line with what God is looking for and trust me he eagerly seeks this a heart that is willing moldable soft ready to commit to seek him with all of your desire say God have your way with me have your way with me the heart that wants to see God that's the pure heart create in me a clean heart oh God let's all stand if you would please heads bowed and eyes closed I'll ask Boltman to play something quietly And I would like to give you this opportunity to speak to God honestly. Speak to God honestly. There's another song we sing, Let Him Have His Way With Thee. Let Him Have His Way With Thee. There's another one. Have thine own way, Lord. All of these songs, it speaks to one thing. It speaks to having a perfect heart. A complete heart. God, 
It's a singular heart. It's all yours. You see, once you make that commitment, all of those little boxes that get ticked, I won't do this, I won't go there, I'll, be, I'll do this instead, all of that will straighten itself out. The right boxes will get ticked after that. You need not feel pressure from the church, from the pastor, from the people around you to conform to a certain lifestyle just so that they're happy. What should motivate you? The eyes of the Lord have run to punch us through them this morning and are standing there right, right there at your chest looking into your heart saying, I wonder if I can show myself strong in this person. I wonder if this person will let me work. Here's what you do. You say, Lord, please come in. Please do it. I hand over the controls of my heart to you. And there may be a few high places that still need to be torn down. Nevertheless, you can have a perfect heart. Father, you and you alone know the condition of our hearts. Never, never can we fix our own heart to such a state that it's completely sinless, free of corruption. We wait, we eagerly wait for that day. We believe in the resurrection, we'll accomplish that. Lord, until then, we lift up our hearts with our hands unto you and say, God, it's all we have. It, it's not much, but it's yours. We want to see you work. We want to experience your presence, your fellowship. Lord, we... We want the right boxes to be ticked, but we want them to be done for the, with the right heart. Father, please, the hearts that are represented in this room, those that are listening at home, make your presence real to them now. And like Asa did in his good days, let them make that commitment to seek you with all their heart and all their desire. Father, thank you. It does bring a peace that passes all understanding when we're devoted to doing it your way. Lord, please prepare our hearts tonight. We want to receive more from you, but thank you for what you've given us this morning. Help us now to do something with it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.